All right, all right. Hey, everybody, how you doing? It's, uh, of course, Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. Good evening. Welcome to your Saturday night. Whoa, look at me, all kinds of orange, like a giant toothy orange. Hey, Apple! Anyway, I hope you're having a great evening. I just wanted to drop in and, uh, well, talk just a little bit about Republicans. Oh, Republicans, the great catastrophic betrayers of freedom and the West. Because Lord above, this Kavanaugh situation is just, it's just kind of driving me batty. It's like, I never get to escape my childhood. Crazy women seem to run just about everything and anything these days. Oh, oh, no audio, no volume, no volume. All right, testing one, two, three. Mic is off. Can't hear. No sound, no sound. All right, good to know. Well, let me try this. All right, is that better? We have sound? We have sound! Excellent, all right. So, yeah, it's it's a good thing I got this nice mic, right? Because that way we can not have sound. Anyway. So, yes, I uh, welcome to your evening. I hope you're doing very, very well. And uh, we will be getting to the Super Chat questions in just a moment. How's the... uh, Actually, this is a slightly new setup. How's the old video coming through? Seems okay. Seems all right. Where is the white background? Video is blurry. Well, yeah, what can I do about that? We are uh, doing all kinds of exciting stuff technically here, but I like slicing and dicing this new ground. So, uh, yeah, just... uh, Sorry, the little bit of the intro that I had was uh, that the uh, the Republicans are driving me a little batty these days. It's like I never get to escape my childhood. The crazy women just run everything, and nothing seems to change from one day to the next. So, what I've been thinking about, and let me let me know what you guys think. But what I've been thinking about is just how. Much they're scared of the media, the Republican planet, the Republicucks, the Cuckcablicans, or whatever you want to call them. How much are they scared of the media? It's like the only people you can even remotely trust these days are the people who have gone through the trial by fire of the media. They have been attacked and savaged and slandered and libeled and you name it, and have come through on the other side and are willing to keep speaking the truth. And only those people can you trust, because when it comes to the Republicans, this delusional end-of-the-Republic dinosaur fair-mindedness is really going to be the end of everything if it continues, because it's not like the libertarians are nipping up at the heels and all that kind of stuff. So it is is pretty rough. Uh, It is pretty rough. Oh, my producer is just asking... Yeah. Yes, we have like Mike for life. So what is what is making them so scared? Like this, well, we have to give her a, a, a this this uh, uh, Dr. Ford, right? Like we have to give her a fair hearing and she's got to come out and she's got to, you know, she's saying now she's too scared to fly, too nervous to fly, too upset to fly. L- looked a little bit into it. She actually went to Hawaii for a year to finish her PhD. Now, unless she swam or found a slow boat to China, I'm pretty much guessing she got on the giant flying, flying exploding tube post-Wright Brothers airplane thing to get from the mainland to 
Hawaii, which is quite a stretch. Let me tell you. Also, after Trump got elected, the fine Dr. Ford also started researching and thinking about moving to New Zealand, you see. Now, what could that mean? Well, I guess, I mean, I've been there pretty recently and I don't remember driving or walking or hitchhiking or taking a submarine or a boat. It pretty much was airplane or bust when it comes to all that stuff. So, she's not telling the truth as far as I could see. This is just not making sense. Well, I will testify, you see, when pigs fly, hell freezes over, Stefan Molyneux regrows his mohawk and cracks four good jokes in one hour. In other words, things that are very unlikely, if not downright impossible, to happen. And for me, this is just sort of my personal judgment when it comes to these things, because we all have to figure out when we're going to trust people, right? When are we going to trust people and under what circumstances and what conditions are we going to trust people? It could be if we're buying a car. It could be if we're going on a date. It could be if we're taking a job. Under what circumstances are we going to trust people? So much of what happens is just on people say so, right? And so because of all of that, what happens is we have to take people at face value. Now, when it comes to taking people at face value, sure, you know, I mean, you don't have to get Alan Dershowitz to cross-examine everyone in your life. But when it comes to trusting people, I have a kind of policy, and, and let me know what you think. It certainly has worked for me in my life. And my policy is this. If you're going to ask me to take something on your say-so, then I will do it if you have no prior history of falsehood or lying. But the moment that something goes awry in your story, that's it. Done. Done and done. Like, because if you're going to say, hey, you got to take me on my word, and this is really what's going on with Kavanaugh and Ford, right? Ford is accusing him of all of this nefarious stuff when she was 15, but can't quite remember the year, which seems a bit dicey to me to begin with. But she's saying, hey, you got to take me on faith. You got to take me on my word. And it's like, okay, well, then you better have a 100% commitment to honesty and openness and directness thereafter. 100%. Because if you say, take me on my word, the moment you deviate from pure credibility, the moment says something fishy that you won't answer, there's something that's contradictory. Like if she said, for instance, so she, she could say, well, I'm scared of flying, right? All right. But then what she has to do, to be honest, is she has to say, I am now scared of flying. I wasn't scared of flying when I was doing my PhD. I wasn't scared of flying after Trump, I think, got the nomination. Uh, and and I'm not scared of, of, of flying then because I was thinking of moving to New Zealand. There's, I've heard some reports that she flew to some place to one of these women's marches. So she can say, well, I wasn't scared of flying then, and that's easily checkable, but I am scared of flying now. This fear of flying has developed in the last X months or whatever, right? But if she says, well, I'm scared of flying, when it seems pretty obvious that she has flown quite a bit in the past, well, that's another thing that is just kind of uh, not believable. And the moment you deviate, the moment you deviate from perfect honesty and openness and truthfulness is the moment to me, I don't care anything about what you said in the past or anything that you say now. The moment there's something that's not on the up and up, that's not straight up, that's not clear and understandable and explainable, and so on. And if she says she's scared of flying, it's pretty easy to check. Can't you just check and see when she last flew? When did she last fly? And 
Given that she is seems to be very keen on keeping a monster, as she sees it, out of the Supreme Court, like not to be a Supreme Court justice, then if she flew in the past, it had to be something even more important than this, right? So it's pretty easy to check, and I think we all know that this is just a horrible weaponization. And, you know, the, the woman's lawyer is this um, really uh, intense uh, lefty who wears these socialist fist signs uh, to, to signify her allegiance to collectivism and leftism and socialism and so on. So it is just horrendous. Now, why? Tell me, my friends. Tell me why. Begging you. I don't think I'll be able to sleep tonight until you give me the answer. What is wrong with these Republicans? This... They should just laugh at this and say, well, 36 years ago, you can't even remember a year, don't really remember the place, everyone else there says it didn't happen, you never filed the police report. Go on home, young lady, go on home. That's all that should be said. I'm not entertaining this, I'm not listening, I don't care, her story doesn't hang together, it makes no sense, the fact that it comes out right before, just as it did with Roy Moore, just as it did with Clarence Thomas, just as it didn't do with Bill Clinton, just as it didn't do with Keith Ellison and all the other people on the left who've mistreated women in the most abominable ways. So, no, the Democrats clearly don't care about this issue on any principle basis, and we know that because the Democrats don't care about any issue on any principle basis other than the desperate bonobo thirst for power and control over others. Say, well, you, you know, all they should say, you start talking about Keith Ellison and the fact that multiple ex-girlfriends of Keith Ellison have accused him of verbal and physical abuse. And there are 911, there's a 911 call, there are medical records that have been posted. There's pretty credible stuff going on there as opposed to some hazy re recollections from three and a half decades or so ago. So why aren't the Republicans just saying, first, you guys ignored Keith Ellison, and you defend, defended uh, Al, Al Franken, and you have continually downplayed and defended Bill Clinton, and, 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 and. So why are they constantly on the defensive? Was it Napoleon who said, the only outcome of a defensive war is surrender? is loss, is catastrophe. The only outcome of a defensive war is catastrophe. So why aren't they just saying, you guys don't care, this is just a political move. What are you, like, what are you doing? Are they afraid? Like, are they afraid of the media? Well, of course they're afraid of the media, but the media is going to go after them no matter what. doesn't matter. Are they afraid of alienating women? Let me tell you guys something. <laughs> Let me tell you guys something very interesting, which I don't think is particularly well understood by a lot of people on the right. Any decent woman, and you don't have to be like superwoman, but any decent woman absolutely hates and loathes and despises somebody whose story about male abuse, particularly sexual abuse, does not hang together. Women hate that stuff because they know that what it does is it discredits genuine accusations of abuse that it is using men's sympathy for women and men's care for women, which comes out of Christianity and comes out of chivalry and comes out of the right, they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they, that people are exploiting women's desire and preference to be protected and men's desire to chivalrously protect women and that they're eating away at that desire for men to protect women. You know, we have this cozy, tasty, wonderful little thing called civilization that allows us to have these conversations. 
And you know why we have this lovely, cozy, tasty little thing called civilization, my friends? We have it because, we have it because, we have it because men like to protect women. Why, why do you upgrade your cave to a place with walls? Because you want to protect your women. Why do you clear out all of the bushes and shrubbery and trees around your cave so the predators can't approach? Why do you develop fire to keep your women and children warm? Why do you develop any of these things? I've said before in the show, but for those who are new, please remember that in Western countries, labor-saving devices were invented for women before life-saving devices were invented for men. In other words, there were uh, fridges and there were other labor-saving devices for uh, washing machines and dryers and so on for women. Before, there were simple masks to keep coal dust out of men's lungs. Labor-saving, this is how much Western men care for their women. And it takes a true sociopath to look at you and say, ah, that's what you really care about. Now I know which buttons to push. Now I know how to control you. Now I know how to make things happen for you. Now I know how to, how to get you under my thumb. And I know how to get my fingers around the jugular of what makes you tick. Ah, you Christians, you really care about protecting women. You really care about honorable, upstanding, wise, virtuous behavior for men. Well, let me tell you. And so to exploit this is to cheapen it, is to degrade it. And also, of course, this woman, Christine Ford, she has two sons. She has two sons. What kind of world is she preparing for them to enter into in adulthood? When she's creating and participating and generating this kind of machinery that is going to chew up men and destroy their lives based upon a say-so that can't be confirmed in any way, shape, or form. Doesn't she care about her sons? Doesn't she care that this is going to be weaponized? If this weapon works, guess what? Everyone gets to use it. Everyone gets to use this weapon. And it's not just going to be the left. The fascists are going to start doing it. The communists are going to... Well, the communists already are doing it, in my opinion. The socialists are already doing it. But everyone is going to start using this weapon because this sets a precedent. And the precedent has been growing since the weaponization of female outrage. Like I was reading these stories about uh, in, in Victorian England 150 years ago. Women would... There'd be a rich guy riding with a carriage and horse down the streets of London... And women would, uh, they with torn clothes, would jump into his carriage and say, give me 10 pounds or I'm screaming rape. And what do they do? The men give them the 10 pounds. And it cheapens legitimate accusations of assault. It degrades and, and diminishes men's desire to protect women, which is the very foundation of Western civilization. The foundation of other civilizations is to control women. But... The foundation of Western civilization is to protect women, which is why for thousands of years rape has been illegal and wife-beating has been illegal and the protection of women has been job one for Western men. But now, and everybody knows this, everybody knows this weaponization is brutal, that it's going to destroy relations between the genders, that it's going to destroy families, it's going to destroy you know, every time I post about one of these stories, I can see stream after stream after stream of men saying, I'm a MGTOW monk, I'm MGTOW, this is why I don't go anywhere near women, this is why I have nothing to do with women, this is why I stay away from women, won't have anything to do with them. Because it's brutal, it's vicious, it's horrible, it's bad for boys, but it's also bad for girls to have this kind of, they grow up with this kind of power, that they can just make a phone call, send a letter, and boom. Now, I'm not saying she's not suffering for it, I mean, according to what I've read, you know, she's 
suffering from death threats and all this kind of stuff. So it's not fun for anyone. But this is why that which is asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. And this is why the Republicans, I mean, I don't know. I, I, tell me what you guys think. I mean, for me, I'm actually at the point where I don't even know if there's any point saying to the Republicans, man up, woman up, step up. I mean, is, is the whole point for them to just be this blind alley where people who want to save the remnants of political and economic freedoms go to just die in some cuckish eddy on the mainstream of culture at the moment? Like, oh, don't worry, we're here. We want to build a wall. We want to lower taxes. We want to cut regulations. We want to cut immigration. We want to do all these things. And it's just uh, like the anglerfish, you know, with that big light, right? They're just going to chew you up. It's just a bait and switch. I mean, I don't know if there's any point. It's like calling up the dedicated fraud art artist and saying, you know, you really got to pay those bills. You know, you really got to pay those people. You don't really do the right thing. Well, the whole point is a fraud artist. He doesn't want to do the right thing. He doesn't want to do the right thing at all. Do the Republicans, can they be shamed into acting with any kind of strength or resolution? Do they have any goal or any thirst or any desire to act with any kind of strength and revolution? Uh, resolution? I mean, they know they've got allies in the alternative media. I mean, everybody knows that the right has allies in the alternative media. That's one of the reasons why uh, these groups are going so hard after the alternative media. But I don't know. Is there any point saying to them, you've got to do the right thing, you've got to step up, you've got to stand up, you've got to stand tall? No, you don't. No, you don't ditch your Supreme Court nominee because some woman says something might have happened 36 years ago. Of course you don't. Of course, and you certainly don't do it because the left is telling you to do it, or the Democrats, or the who are the social. Of course you don't do it. They don't care about any of these things. They only care about power. So are they afraid of alienating the media? Well, the media is already alienated. Are they afraid of alienating women? No. Women hate false accusations if that's what these turn out to be. Women hate that stuff. Women who have sons, women who have husbands, women who have fathers. Women who know female manipulation when they see it because they all grew up being attacked by these venomous, invisible, mean girl cliques in junior high and high school. Women know how terrible all of this stuff is. So women will cheer. Women will cheer if the Republicans stand up. Of course, the media is going to go nuts and they're going to say it's all this and that and terrible and you're betraying and this. But so what? Of course, the media is going to say that. They're terrible, terrible human beings. So how can you guide yourself by what the media says, but they seem, I don't know, maybe it's a thing like, like politicians want to be liked, and then they get to Washington and they're surrounded by all these leftists, and they want to please all these leftists, or at least avoid their attack. I don't know. It's it's hard to know. It's hard to know, but I, it's, it's so horrendous watching this posturing of these people. Well, we've got to give her a voice, and we've got to give her a chance to, to tell her side of the story, and it's like, they're there is nothing to tell. There is nothing that can be adjudicated in any rational or objective legal system from what someone says from 36 years ago. No physical evidence, no location. All the other witnesses say it didn't happen. You got dozens of women saying this guy's totally upstanding and right. And they have to go back this far? Where are all the other accusers if he's the serial predator, right? I mean, the fact, I mean, at least with, with Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill, it was something more contemporaneous, right? But that's not what is going on with this other stuff. They're going back so far in time. I mean, ne next up, Republicans molested someone in a past life. 
in another in another dimension, in another galaxy, long, long ago, far, far away. They're just reaching so far now that it has become completely ridiculous. And this chivalric, we have to listen, we have, I mean, it's absolutely embarrassing. It's absolutely ridiculous. And do you know what a ragged cheer would come up in the world as a whole if they just told these people to take this nonsense and go away? Because no, we're not stopping. No, we're not. Hey, you you want to press charges, you know, make a phone call to your local police and the local police will snort out coffee and donuts through both nostrils because like, oh, you want us to investigate something that happened 36 years ago? Maybe it was 36, maybe 37, maybe 35. Who knows? Where did it happen? Oh, you can't really remember uh, who was there. Oh, okay. Let's call them. It didn't happen. Boom. Sorry. Uh, we have inactivities ordered by Jeff Sessions that we have to not take care of. So, you just say, this is not a matter for a Supreme Court justice. You go, you phone your local police. You can, I mean, oh, the statute of limitations has expired for both civil, civil and criminal stuff. Oh, we want to call the FBI. The FBI does not do this kind of stuff. They'll do a background check, but they don't pursue criminal matters. That's the job for the police, the local police. So with this stuff all bubbling up, you just laugh. The reporters say, well, do you have any comment on this stuff? No, I don't have any comment on this stuff. I mean... Do you not think that she should be believed? I don't know. Doesn't It's completely irrelevant to this process. This is just somebody saying something that can't be verified from 36 years ago. Like, what on earth would this have to do with anything? Go, go try some other method. You know, what you could have done is run a better candidate in 2016. Very glad they didn't because uh, she would probably have dragged us into World War III at least at some point by now. And certainly the borders would be open. And can you imagine what would happen to outlets like me? Can you imagine what would have happened to outlets like me if um, if Hillary Clinton was in power? I mean, I can't I can't even fathom. I can't even imagine what would have happened. So, no, just laugh. Say, where were you guys when Keith Ellison was being accused? Accused? Where were you guys when Bill Clinton was facing down Juanita Broderick and the other women that claim he attacked and assaulted them? Where were you in these kinds of situations? Oh, and here's another question for you, wonderful mainstream media who ain't so lefty. What happened to all these Roy Moore allegations after the election? Why are they not being pursued anymore? Do they not matter anymore? Did they not happen? Does it, come on. Just laugh at these people. I mean, they, they are ridiculous. I mean, they're predatory and they're wrong. They're nasty. They're unpleasant. They're evil in a lot of ways. And I... I like this sort of common law idea too. If you take a run at someone and you say this, you publicly say this person did X, Y, and Z that was bad. Okay, you take your shot. You take your run at them. If it turns out that you're wrong, if it turns out they have an alibi, if it turns out all the other eyewitnesses say that it didn't happen, if it turns out that there's some fairly certain way, you know, you've got to have... uh, um, uh, the majority of, of evidence, right? A preponderance of evidence, evidence beyond a reasonable doubt, like 95% plus evidence for a criminal, about 51% for civil. But for criminal, if you can establish with the same degree of evidentiary requirements, like 95 plus percent, that the person who made the accusation is not telling the truth, then they get the punishment that would have been inflicted on the other person if he'd been convicted, right? So you accuse, let's say you accuse some guy of rape and he's going to get 10 years. And it turns out 
Very strong evidence, again, 95 plus percent, the same balance of evidence is required to convict for criminal matters. It shows that you were either A, lying, or B, mistaken, which is, you know, mistaken would be more like manslaughter as opposed to first degree. But you then get the punishment of the person you took a run at if it turns out that you were lying or grossly mistaken. Now, that, of course, would de-weaponize this stuff immediately, which is why people won't do it, because then that would require actually treating women as equals. Actually treating women as equals. And that goes right against the female privilege. Now, of course, just before I get to the Super Chats, and thanks everyone so much, I hope you're having an enjoyable evening. It's wonderful to to chat with you. Let me tell you uh, something else that I think is, um, uh, is, is quite important. So all of this weaponizing of women by the left is something that simply cannot last. It cannot last because when you have all of these women who come forward with these wild accusations, and they're happening in divorce cases, it's so common, it's called SAID, or sexual allegations in divorce, sexual abuse allegations in divorce against the children often. It simply can't last because men will lose their chivalric desire to protect women, and women are going to end up in a much worse position than they were before. I mean, women in the West have had this wonderfully privileged position for uh, a long time. And it's not going to last in any way, shape, or form. And uh, it's the kind of thing that when it ends, uh, women will I don't know, probably look back and kick, kick themselves for not standing up more for what was right and protecting and defending the men who are so willing to protect and defend them. So... Uh, I will um, put my rancorous, bottomless contempt aside for the moment. Let me just grab my super chance. And let's see here. What have we got here? Thanks, everyone, of course, for these super chance. Melon Gen Drifter. Hey, Steph, thanks for all you do. Question, do you think Republicans are cowards or rather complicit? They are either participating or what they're doing, they are, um, to me, they're exhibiting classic signs of abuse victims, like verbal abuse victims, like like a guy who just berates, like we take the standard thing, like a guy who just berates down his girlfriend or his wife, just, just rails at her, beats her up, takes her down, continually calling her the most horrible words uh, in the world. She just gets really, really jumpy, and she's really eager to please, and, and, and she won't stand up for herself, and she won't stand up for her values, because she just doesn't want to get abused again. She just doesn't want to get in trouble. And the way that I see Republicans reacting now is the left has, has got them, like got them by the, 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 the serrated boot on the jugular of the Republican Party from the media, from, from Hollywood, from academia, you name it. And the Republicans are just like, okay, uh, I, I don't want to get yelled at anymore. I don't want to get abused anymore. I don't want to get screamed at. I don't want to, like, or it could be next or, or whatever. I don't know, right? I mean, there could be even more sinister stuff that's going on, you know, like Google didn't even show up for senatorial hearings recently. I think it was senatorial hearings recently. It didn't even show up. It didn't even show up. Why? Why didn't they say you have to show up like everyone else? Well, <laughs> the answer, of course, is that who knows what Google has on these people, right? Who knows what Google has on these people? I mean, the real deep state might be the high-tech companies in terms of the power and influence that they have over these politicians. It's really, really something else. So let us uh, 
let us continue on. So yeah, are they uh, are they cowards or are they complicit? I think cowards for the most part. And what's going to give them strength is support for them. And I want them to do the right thing. But at this point, seeing all this caving, you know, I was thinking of having an encouraging speech, and I've done those before. But at this point. I'm not sure if it's just you just have to yell louder to get their attention. You just have to say, I mean, I've got so many messages over this Kavanaugh stuff of people saying, I don't even want to bother voting Republican anymore. Like, forget it. Forget it. All right. Uh, Chibinio24, $50 super chat. Thank you, my friend, for everything I've learned and for when I eventually call in. Looking forward to, to chatting with you. Joshua, $100 Super Chat. What pisses me off about Republicans is their unfailing ability to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. I wish I could prove it was deliberate. Uh, yeah, video quality. I don't know, man. I wish I could, uh, I wish I could change it up, but uh, we'll have to <laughs> survive with what it is. Just pretend that I'm... Uh, you know what? Just pretend I'm a Minecraft video. A very, very blocky Minecraft video. And uh, I will... I will dab for you right there. So sorry about that. But um, let's hear. Um, Ammon Harper, Super Chat, says, Hey, Steph, I'm thankful for you and Crowder. You guys are awesome. Thank you so, so much. The Gresh from the Super Chat says, Watching your show has saddened me. I never realized how low IQ I was until I found you. No idea what to do with my life. Just a 20-year-old mediocre artist uh, with two menial jobs averaging $11 an hour. Well, Grash, you know, don't jump to conclusions about your intelligence until you have put everything you have into what it is that you want to do in life. Do not... Do not assume that you're low IQ or whatever that means. The fact that it bothers you that you may not be achieving your potential is the greatest sign that you have more potential to offer the world. So if you are an artist, what happens if you just go full tilt boogie into producing your art? I mean, I know two jobs. I mean, I get it. It's it's tough. But what if you just go full tilt boogie into creating your art, into doing your art? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be cool? Now, if you put everything you've got into your art and it doesn't work out, at least you won't have any regrets. You can look towards something else. But I would say give yourself six to 12 months. Pour everything that you've got into your art, into creating and promulgating your art, because the creation is like 5% of success. The, the real success is pushing it out there, getting people's attention, doing the marketing, getting it in front of the eyeballs, networking. I mean, all the stuff that artists hate to do, but is essential for the spread of art. So I would say don't assume that you are low IQ, low quality, or anything like that, until and unless you've given it absolutely everything you've got. And I think you'll be really surprised. We have more potential within us than most people will ever even guess at over the course of their lives. And I put a lot of stock in something like willpower and repetition. So... You know, the it's just an old Malcolm Gladwell argument, you know, 10,000 hours, 15,000 hours, 20,000 hours, that the people who do the best are the ones who practice the most. And as the old saying goes, it's 99% inspiration, or 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration. All right. Pod in the super chat says, will the subcon 
mess with you if you're not making a key, if you're not making a key change in your life that you know you need to. You spoke about your subconscious, I guess, amping up the mental issues while you were still choosing to see your mom. What else will it do? Mm, that's, that's a good question. So uh, now, whether my subconscious mind was reality-oriented outside of my philosophy, or whether I had sunk so many ideas about objectivism and virtue into my subconscious mind that it revolted or rebelled against my lack of integrity in my waking life throughout my 20s, is hard to know. And also, as I worked in the business world, and as I had worked in the artistic realm and so on, I just came across more and more people who were corrupt. I mean, I wish there was any, I mean, so corrupt that there wasn't even a sense of corruption. So corrupt, it was just like fish swimming in water. It's just what they do. And so I think the conflict or the collision, I guess, is a better, the collision between my values, my actions, and my environment, the mismatch between my values, my actions, and my environment. Um, yeah, well, so me, it left for like, I think 16, 17, maybe 18 months worth of insomnia. And uh, I was doing three hours of therapy a week and journaling for like six to eight hours a week and just doing everything I could to try and clean up my inner mess. But um, I would say that there's lots of things that the subconscious can do if you're going really astray. There's an old story from Carl Jung who had a patient who was a mountaineer and his patient said, I keep having this dream where I climb up a mountain, I keep climbing into the air and I vanish into the sky or something like that. And Carl Jung said, whatever you do, you better stop mountaineering right now because this is kind of like a death wish. And again, whether the story is true or not, I don't know. I mean, reading a lot of Freud stories, they really weren't very true at all. But what happened was the guy went mountaineering and ended up uh, making silly errors and, and died. The unconscious can wipe you out if you drift too far from your values. It can wipe you out with carelessness. It can wipe you out with drugs, with, with drinking, with promiscuity, with dangerous situations, with criminal entanglements, with you name it. It can wipe you out with disease, you know, some stress-related or stress-based disease and so on, in my opinion. So uh, it's better to be proactive in solving these things rather than reactive. But the world scarcely encourages us to act in a virtuous manner in a consistent way. So um, I would say that uh, learn from philosophy, act in a virtuous manner, and uh, your unconscious will, will be right behind you just about every step of the way. All right, Matt C. from the Super Chat, thank you. The more and more I watch this lunacy continue, the more and more I feel violence is our only option. How do you feel about this, Stefan? It's sad to think about, but what other option do we have? Hmm. And now we get to the point in the show where I say prescription is not preference. So if you think something's going to happen, it's not because you prefer it to happen. In fact, I talk about reason and evidence because I don't want escalations to happen. So... I will say this. Violence will occur without a doubt if people don't listen to reason. Violence, mass violence will occur without a doubt if people don't listen to reason. And I've been saying this from the very beginning. We have big choices to make in society. We either make them according to reason and evidence or we make them according to uh, 
blood and guts. There's no other option. So where are we in that arc? I mean, (laughs) I hate to say it, but we kind of have to rely on the Republicans in America at the moment, at least in America. Because if the left gets what they want, which is the to keep Kavanaugh out, now why are they so concerned? Because a lot of Catholics then on the Supreme Court, and they're they're terrified of Roe v. Wade being overturned. They're terrified of restrictions on abortion, and the reason for that, I believe, and this is not to talk about all the women on the left, but uh, the blue hair versus the blonde hair brigade is pretty important. If there are restrictions placed upon the easy access of abortion, and those restrictions could be as simple as not having taxpayers pay for it anymore, then leftist women will have to bring more than their vaginas to the table. You know, sexual access, if sexual access is reduced, or the value of sexual access is reduced, because there are restrictions on easy access to abortion, then what happens is, women have to start bringing more than sexual access to the table in terms of being a quality person and in terms of, you know, being a good friend, a good provider, a good supporter, you know, a good raiser of children, you know, whatever it is. There have to be good old-fashioned female values will have to come to the fore and simply offering up sexual access, which is much easier to do when abortion is free and publicly funded. Well, available and publicly funded in general. It's very tough. These women don't want to up their game. They want to keep having the V card to play rather than the the vagina card to play rather than the virtue card to play. And they just, they don't want to have to be better people. They don't want to have to be virtuous when they just offer up the vagina. And men are like, great, I'm thirsty. Let's do it, right? But uh, yeah, it's going to be a problem for women as a whole. Uh, leftist women, I think, in particular, and this is why they're so hysterical about it, because it's a fundamental sexual market value situation. Base 04 sent $2, to which I say $2. All right, thank you. Super Chat, Rachel McLean, $2. I want to debate your racist attitude on IQ. (laughs) For $2, you want to debate my racist attitude on IQ. All right, first of all, Rachel, you're wrong, and it's a nasty, ugly wrong thing to say. Because I don't have an attitude about IQ. There's actually data. There are facts. There's information. There's science. There's a hundred years of testing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people around the world. Huge amount of data is out there. These are facts. The facts are simple. Ethnicities, on average, score differently on IQ. Men and women, on average, score differently on IQ. So the idea that this is just some racist attitude, it is really pitiful and pathetic for you to start casting these aspersions around when I'm trying to solve problems by dealing with actual facts. You are certainly welcome to call in to my show to discuss these matters in more detail. But frankly, on my channel, how dare you? How dare you call me a racist? How dare you say that it's just attitude? What facts have you studied? What experts have you interviewed? What books have you read? What information have you processed? Or are you just sitting there on some high, pitiful, stupid throne, casting aspersions around because you can't understand simple math? All right? Ridiculous and pathetic. All right. Super Chat, Matt C. The more and more I watch... Oh, no, we did this. Uh, Okay. Uh, Super Chat, Facta Non Verba. The story of Adam and Eve was a warning. Satan corrupts Eve 
and she in turn corrupts Adam. This is how you wage war on people, corrupt their women, who in turn corrupt their men, and then the fall begins. I hope to release my uh, speech from the uh, Eagle Gateway Forum in St. Louis from last weekend. I did a lot on the first uh, temptations of Jesus. Super Chat, Matthew, yes it is. (laughs) Yes, Itis. Matthew, yes it is. Love you, Stefan. Made so much off your work, and I mean in a personal way, made so much progress. Thank you for what do you do. Thank you for what you do. What do you think of the Matrix? Well, I will refer you to my review of the Matrix. It's a fantastic film. It's a great allegory. And listen, by the by, next month is opening Mike, Mike Cernovich's great new documentary entitled or called Hoaxed. Now, Hoaxed is wonderful, and you should really, really go and see it by hook or by crook, find some way to get it. I think it's going to come out online. Now, Hoaxed is about fake news, and I have a speech or two in it, and uh, I'm enormously and immensely proud of my contributions to the movie, and you should check it out, because it is the new Matrix, right? The media is the new Matrix. So yeah, I've done a review of The Matrix, which you can find. I did it some years ago. And please, hoaxed movie.com hoaxedmovie.com you can also order the transcripts in the book on Amazon but uh, check that out it's really really good alright super chat P.S. if this is allowed to succeed this is the forward accusations against Kavanaugh then every man is in the crosshairs credibly accused an unknown time unknown place any man ever alone slash socializing with a woman for any period of time is at risk for losing of losing everything well this is the other thing too come on we all understand this um, women want mentors. And if all of this Me Too stuff has gone completely toxic, it's gone completely cancerous. You know, it's like, uh, hey, I'd like to <laughs> light a fire in the grate of my fireplace to warm my house on this cold winter's evening. And next thing you know, half the city is uh, aflame, London 1666 style. Well, women aren't going to be able to be mentored by men. They're not. Because no man is going to want to mentor a woman, because it means going on business trips together, because it means having dinner, working late at the office together, having lunch out together. No man is going to want to mentor a woman because it's too terrifying, it's too dangerous, it's too risky. And then, of course, what women are going to do is women are going to say, well, this is so sexist. Why won't they mentor us? Why are they only mentoring men? It's a boys club. It's sexist. It's like, you make your bed, you got to lie in it. And it's women who need to call out women as far as this stuff goes. Because, I mean... The left will go after you anyway, right? I mean, what was this Data and Society report that I did something on where, you know, Blair White and Candace Owens and, and Milo Yiannopoulos, well, you know, but it's, you know, it's gays and, and LBGDQ and, and minorities and so on. I mean, half the people <laughs> in this spider web of craziness were all, you know, gay or minorities or, or trans or whatever. So I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty pretty nutty to put it mildly so. All right, so let's move on to the next call. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Super Chat, Cloud9Ninja. Hey, Steph, how do you feel about Maxime Bernier's last few weeks? Exciting a last gasp of Canadian freedom before we slip over the socialist cliff to South Africa or a glimmer of hope? Well, uh, this is a comment on a YouTube video some months ago that kind of haunted me, which was like, like Trump was just the last gasp, a gasp of a panicked bunch of white people who know that they're going to be overrun. And they panicked and they voted Trump in, but it's too late and that kind of stuff. 
I don't know. I don't know. Maxime Bernier, he's certainly willing to take on topics that other people aren't willing to talk about. Canadians are desperate for control over immigration. Immigration has just gone completely nuts. Completely nuts. Got 300,000 people a year pouring into Canada, almost exclusively from the third world. And Canadians are terrified. They're desperate. They're horrified at what is going on. And um, somebody's either going to talk about it or they're not. And where there is such a need in politics, such a desperate desire in politics, often that will generate the potential for a new kind of politician to emerge. So I'll be keeping my eyes on it. uh, And uh, I certainly, of course, wish him well. Super Chat Rene said, I recently heard someone using John Stuart Mills and the harm principle to support Islamic blasphemy laws. Do you think Mills would support that? Have you done a truth about John Stuart Mill? I have not done a truth about John Stuart Mill, and I would say that I don't know enough about the harm principle to be able to speak about this with any reasonable authority, so I'll have to put that on the back burner. But I have. You'll see when you see hoaxed why I'm interested in doing a history of philosophy outside the studio. Uh, Like, $5, paying for my ticket to watch Stefan debate the ridiculous and pathetic lady from earlier. Love the show. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, you know, virtue is a very powerful thing. Moral condemnation is a very powerful thing. And we really should not use explosive negative terms about people in the absence of very clear evidence. You know, okay, I'm willing to say somebody's got a KKK hood on. Absolutely. Uh, You can talk about racism. Somebody's hanging deep with Louis Farrakhan, you know, like Barack Obama. Okay. I'm willing to talk about racism with regards to that person. Somebody saying, I want to kill all the whites in South Africa. Yeah, okay. Pretty much we can talk about racism if they're singing Kill the Boer, Kill the White Person in South Africa, like Nelson Mandela did. Then I'll say, sure, let's start talking about racism. But when somebody's talking about scientific facts, get lost with that term. It, it cheapens the actual racism that is occurring in the world. Double, double, no pickle. Super chat. Double, double, no pickle. (laughs) Oh, I get it. It's the weirdest coffee ever. Stefan, are boomers to blame for the state of the US? Don't get me. Don't get me started on the boomers because I have mixed feelings about the boomers. I was just thinking about this today, oddly enough. But with regards to the boomers... So here's the challenge. It is frustrating to me, like I was born in 1966, and it is quite frustrating to me that so many of the things that I find objectionable about the modern world were put in place before I was even born. Oh, just tragic, just horrible. So many of these things put in place before I was even born. But then I say, okay, well, how could let's say, the 1965 Immigration Act have been opposed. Because the left has done this wonderful thing where by tying immigration to non-whites, they can accuse all whites who oppose immigration of being racist. It's a perfect setup. It's a perfect trap. And the only way to to avoid it is to talk about IQ. Because I think we all know this is not that complicated, that confusing at all. We all know that... An ethnicity that has, say, an average IQ in the low 70s will not succeed 
in a free market society, particularly with a welfare state, particularly with a welfare state, what they will do is they'll have a whole lot of kids who, given that it seems to be largely genetic, will also be IQ in the low to mid 70s. It's not going to work. So I think, well, okay, so what if back in the day, um, people had been able to talk more about the IQ stuff, because the IQ stuff has been known since the First World War. So what if there had been some capacity for people to talk about the IQ stuff? And then I think, okay, well, the mainstream media, which is largely leftist, is not going to talk about it. The academics are not going to talk about it. Uh, So how do you get the word out? Do you go like all Mel Gibson in Conspiracy Theory, the movie, and just have your newsletter that you photocopy or mimeostat or whatever the phrase is, photostat, and just hand it out so that everyone can smell it like they're in 1980s junior high school? Like... Love that smell. I love the smell of mimeographs in the morning. It smells like homework. I mean, what do you do, right? How do you get the word out there about these kinds of things? Charles Murray tried it in the early 90s, but then that's really before the internet and all that. So, I mean, I'm mad at the boomers for not doing this kind of stuff. But then I think, okay, well, who? how would you have got the word out prior to the internet? I mean, if you look at someone like uh, Rushton, in Canada, he was a psych professor, I think, at the University of Waterloo. We talked about these kinds of issues. And, I mean, he was uh, hounded. Uh, he was uh, ostracized. Uh, you know, he had to, I think, give some of his classes off campus because of all this kind of stuff. And it takes a lot for people to want to put up with that. It's pretty monstrous. So I am mad at the boomers. But I also recognize that prior to the internet, there was not a whole lot of stuff to be done or stuff to be said in terms of getting the word out. So I'm not, you know, I've had my rants about the boomers and I'm sure I'll have them again. But for the most part, I just want to say, okay, well, if this is what I think is missing, then this is what needs to be, uh, this is what needs to be done. So I will do it because everybody else seems to, um, (laughs) seems to be avoiding the topic. All right, here we go. Hello, what do you got? Super chat, Mark. Don't you think people will wake up once the first Western nation is majority Muslim? Timing will save us. Well, I don't know because uh, if the majority Muslim are very fundamentalist, then of course they're going to have access to nuclear weapons. So who knows? Who knows? But listen, I understand. I mean, from the Muslim perspective, I completely understand all of this because the reality is that the Western countries kept invading and killing Muslim countries, largely Muslim countries, even when they were secular, as in the case of uh, Iraq, right? I mean, they keep funding uh, tyrannical Muslim countries like Saudi Arabia. Uh, They keep sending foreign aid to Muslim countries. They attack and destroy Muslim countries. So... I just, I just want to point out, I kind of get where they're coming from, and um, we'll see, we'll see how that, we'll see how that goes. And from a cold blood, this is a very complicated topic. From a cold blooded evolutionary standpoint, the ideologies that are the most productive are often the closest to the truth. Now, of course, the West has a lot of philosophical truth and scientific truth and, and analytical truth and rational proofs and so on. But you know, maybe the Muslim countries have a greater grasp of female nature. And if you're going to have to bet on whether a more technologically advanced country is going to work out or whether a country with a better grasp of understanding male-female dynamics is going to work out, well, I think we know, you know, just demographically which one is going to win. 
Super Chant, Tibithful. Massive respect from UK. I emailed you about a game that featured your likeness six months ago. I'm scared of jail time for hate speech, though. Do you think I can leverage my art somehow to hate, to help the world? Yeah, this hate speech stuff in, in, in Europe is just horrendous. I mean, it's perfectly natural, of course, because, I mean, you've had a lot of people come in from non-Western countries and cultures into politics and into um, something like uh, the police or the military and so on. And so, yeah, the, you know, the offensiveness, the upset, the lack of rational history and all of that, it's going to make um, a lot of difference. And this hate speech stuff is just brutal. It's horrendous. Uh, it is uh, not, there's no such thing, no such thing as hate speech. There's no such thing as, I mean, if speech which offends you should be shut down, then I want universities shut down. Oh, here comes everybody. I want universities shut down. I want the mainstream media shut. I mean, I find other stuff all offensive, all horrible, all wrong. Yeah, but, you know, you have to let people have their say. Uh, that's the best way for society to continue to progress. But uh, sure, look, I mean, if, if you're the police, I mean, come on, if you're the police, do you want to go and break up Pakistani rape gangs? Well, no. You want to go to some grandmother who's complaining about immigration and kick down her door. Why? Because the grandmother isn't going to do squat. Right? So, I mean, if you're the policeman, and especially if you have this whole, you don't want to be called a racist, whatever, because Islam is not a race, but you just have to look at your day. What would you rather be doing? Going in and breaking down predatory sociopathic rape gangs from Pakistan? Or would you like to go and find some pimply-faced teenager and scare the crap out of him because he posted a, a dank meme on the internet? Of course you'd rather go kick in the door of the 14-year-old teenager rather than the probably very well-armed, well-connected rape gangs who are dangerous criminals who reportedly have killed a girl and ground her up and put her in kebab meat. So, yeah, you know, this is the way that this is, you know, what would you rather do as a policeman, if assuming that this, you know, ethics is not the way that's driving your day. So, how can I leverage my art somehow to help the world? You know, when it comes to Europe, I don't know, man. I, Marine Le Pen's been, what, ordered to report for psychiatric assessment? I mean, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. What I would say is really work hard to, get facts and reason and arguments and data behind what it is that you say. You don't want to appeal to people who just have bigotry and prejudice. You want to appeal people to people who have an uneasy feeling about something and then give them the data, the reason, the arguments, and the evidence that helps support what it is that they're feeling. So I would say work to build your arguments up from the ground up. Uh, make sure you quote your sources. Make sure you quote your data. Make sure you quote your science. And that should keep you... Um, well, as safe as possible. And again, I'm no expert on these hate speech laws, so I don't know. But um, Super Chat, Duralex said Lex, you so racist, Rachel, is why the 19th is, <laughs> is going to get repealed. Yeah. See, here's the thing. Because, I, you know, I get this, I see, you know, repeal the 19th, right? That's allowing women to vote. The problem is, of course, I've been so enormously influenced by women in my life. You know, my favorite philosopher, the one who formed my thought by far the most, Sign Rand, is a Russian female philosopher and so on. And Coulter's had a huge impact on me and uh, mostly ob obviously in terms of hairstyle and, and pantsuit selection. But uh, I mean, the repeal the 19th, the, the repeal everything. <laughs> you know, why just stop at the 19th, repeal everything? 
there should, I mean, how would it work in a free society? Well, in a free society, women would be raising a bunch of kids. Men would be providing for the women because that's real girl power. That's the one thing that women can do that men can't is, is have babies and breastfeed and all that. And so women would have a huge amount of influence, but they would not have as much direct economic power. They'd have significant investment in economic power with regards to their men. But uh, a free society, a free market is going to solve the problem of the current gender imbalance of political power nice and easy. And uh, this repeal the 19th stuff, um, it's not going to happen. I mean, come on, women outvote men like crazy. So, And, you know, if you ever really want to, you know, those of you who have issues with Jews and so on, like, don't. I mean, <laughs> Jews, Jews are dissolving as far as an ethnicity goes or as a cultural religion goes. So many Jews are marrying outside the faith. And if you ever want to um, look at something interesting, look at how the feminists are taking over in Israel and uh, going down the same path. You know, the globalists are the globalists, the collectivists are the collectivists, and they don't like Jewish identity any more than any other particular kind of identity. Uh, all right. Thank you, everyone. I really, really appreciate these super chats, by the way. Super chat from Luke. How would you encourage our elite to take up moral responsibility again, lead by example, i.e. like our forefathers at the Declaration of Independence? Hmm. That's a... Uh, I don't know. I mean, you're asking for a huge amount of historical momentum to suddenly appear. And that's going to be kind of tricky. You know, the, the founding fathers were at the pinnacle and the crest of a huge pro-rational movement that had started even before Francis Bacon really worked out the scientific method at the beginning of the 16th century. So, you know, you, you've got the whole scientific uh, enlightenment, you've got the Renaissance, you've got the enlightenment, you have the age of reason, you have a huge historical wave and crest that was occurring for a long time. And you also had no particular media, and you also had people who were willing to use violence. I mean, it's so funny when you think about it, right? I mean, the tea tax was nothing compared to the income tax, but you had people who were willing to do all of this kind of stuff. And um, now, uh, <laughs> what can I tell you? So I don't think the elite are going to save us, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Super chat, Knox, just want to add my support. Please don't ever stop what you're doing. Well, I'm going to have to pee eventually, but wait. All right, we go a little longer. Super Chat Pod. Would creators releasing exclusive content on alt media sites be enough to get a huge sum of people registered and non-dependent on YouTube? Well, look, YouTube either, either shapes up and becomes neutral. And I think... Uh, okay, so let's let's do this real quick. Okay, maybe not. But let's try and do it real quick. The managers, the shareholders, the responsible people, the adults in YouTube don't like this political machinations at all, right? I mean, there's been a whole thing that Facebook has said to people, I think it's Facebook saying, stop being so political, stop letting your politics interfere. So there's a bunch of shareholders, there are a bunch of people who care about the technology and who are still, you know, pretty free speechy and, and they don't like the way that the companies are heading. And then there's all this HR crap and this regulatory crap and, and all of this where this gooey, paranoid, jumpy, neurotic kind of thinking is coming in. And so I think that if the government, and there's some indications that that's happening right now, right? The, 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 the Trump has, I think, started an investigation into what's going on, or a pre-investigation into what's going on in these tech companies. And double check everything I'm saying, because I don't normally go without any notes unless it's purely philosophical. So 
But there is some start to look into whether there is this, obviously, there's this clear anti, it's not, I don't say it's a conservative bias. I don't say it's a conservative bias at all. I mean, if you look at the bias against uh, Scott Adams, well, Scott Adams says that he's on many issues to the left of Bernie Sanders, which apparently I think according to the Mobius strip makes him right again. But uh, it is anybody who's anti-collectivist, anybody who's an individualist, anybody who's a free thinker, you know, this kind of stuff. It's the usual battle between the mindless mob and the the free thinkers. But um, I think that the tech leaders and certainly the tech shock, the stockholders and a lot of the tech workers would be hugely relieved if they got to say to the blue-haired hysterical social justice mobs within their companies, hey, sorry, man, it's come down from the government. We, we, we can't do this. we got to clean up the code. Hey, don't get mad at me, man. You know, like it's just, it's, uh, it's what the government says. I, I don't have any control, so sorry, we can't do it. I think so many people in the tech industry would be so massively relieved if directives came down from the government that said you got to remove these bigoted algorithms. It's not the job of Facebook to figure out what the news is or not. It's not the job of YouTube to figure out what the news is or not. It's certainly not the job of Twitter. It's not the job of any of these companies to figure out what the news is. It's like asking the road manufacturers to figure out which cars are the getaway cars. You just built the road, man. Figuring out what is news is a very concentrated, deep, and intense philosophical question. What is the news? What is factual? What is relevant? What is spin? What is slant? What is emphasis? What is de-emphasis? What is... You name it. It's incredibly complicated, this question, what is the news? Which is why you need free speech and you need a marketplace of ideas so that things get hammered out over time. Not with bike clocks, hopefully. But uh, So this question, what is news? Of course computers can't figure it out. Of course it's going to be biased. Of course it's going to be bigoted. But I genuinely believe that the tech companies, a lot of the senior management, a lot of the techies, a lot of the smart people, and certainly the shareholders, because the shareholders are going to get destroyed if more political bias keeps piling onto these platforms, they're going to get destroyed because then they're not a platform, they're a publisher, they're liable for everything that's published, and boom. You know, if if Facebook says, we know what is true news and what is fake news, and they allow something that turns out to be fake news that damages people through, they're liable. If they just say, hey man, hands off, you know, you, we're just the road builders, you drive wherever you guys want, and if something illegal happens, someone's going to call the cops, right? Like if somebody's posting death threats or bomb threats or whatever, that's a matter for the police, not a matter for... Facebook's technology, as long as they have a reporting system. So at some point, the shareholders are going to get hammered by all of this kind of stuff. And there are going to be other platforms out there that are going to be happy to take all of this power away from Facebook and YouTube and Google and all this. You know all of the alternatives, and I'm on a bunch of those as well. So it is my hope that, and I don't like regulatory action, I don't like the government and so on, but it's certainly my hope that the government can help the tech companies remember that they have something called an end-user agreement, which does not say you're going to be 20 times censored more if you're a conservative than if you're on the left, right? They don't, they don't have any political content in their end-user agreement. So to me, all of this heavy leftist slant, it's pretty fraudulent, you know, just in a sort of amateur way of looking at it. It's just kind of fraudulent because that's not what they say in their end-user agreements. They don't say, well... You can pretty much get away with advocating terrorism if you're on the left, but if you're on the right and you post a spicy meme, boom, you're down, right? So we we love the left, we hate the right, and because then people would say, well, I don't want to go on this platform. I don't want to be a pirate. <laughs> like, I don't want to go on this platform. So they've made these commitments. They've made these commitments to be neutral. And so I think they genuinely still want to be neutral, but they can't stand up to the hysterical HR department, 
pirates within their own midst, the stowaways put in there by regulatory requirements and so on. So if the government says you can't do this crap anymore, I think they'll pretend to say, well, it never happened. So because what are they going to say? Are they going to say, oh, yes, we've been horribly biased towards the left. So we'll change our algorithms. No, what they're going to say is they're going to say, well, it never happened anyway. And they're going to quietly change the algorithm so that the number of complaints will be reduced and everybody will be relieved and most people will be happy and the social justice warriors will be frustrated and hopefully will grow up and actually learn to deal with emotions in a productive and positive way. Because, you know, if you can't control your own emotions, you just end up controlling other people no matter what. All right. Super chat. Cloud Nine Ninja. Steph, have you watched Jordan Peterson's last interview with Doug Murray? He seems to say certain speech should be banned and that fascism is right wing. Well, I'm not sure who you're referring to, which is, are you talking about Jordan Peterson or Douglas Murray? So without that, no, of course, certain speech should be banned. And of course, most people think that fascism is right wing, right? So the whole point of the left right continuum, and I know that I use it, but there is a convention you kind of have to work with. But um, if if you accept this left-right paradigm, then, of course, on the extreme left, you have communism. On the extreme right, you have fascism. And so you're just supposed to paralyze yourself in the middle of goopy nothingness, right? Just compromise kind of stuff, right? So, uh, no, I have not watched Jordan Peterson's last interview with Douglas Murray. I don't, I hate to say it, I don't have a lot of time to consume other people's content outside of the content that uh, I am trying to consume for my show. So like if I have uh, somebody, I'm going to read their book, right? To do an interview, I could read a bunch of articles or, you know, then I'll do that, of course. But I don't have as much time as I'd like to consume other people's content. Uh, Super chat from DG. Hi, Stefan. Jordan Peterson or Sam Harris? Well, I'm going to tell you my particular preference is for the inestimable Dr. Jordan Peterson. By the way, congratulations on 2 million book sales. That is fantastic. Yeah, Jordan Peterson or Sam Harris. Yeah, Jordan Peterson for sure. You know, one of the issues that I have with uh, our good friend Sam is that he's a determinist who morally castigates people. Now, I've got a new book coming out. I think I'm going to call it Essential Philosophy. I just finished the audio book for it last week. And in it, I sort of say, well, if you're a determinist, you can't have moral judgments of people. Of course you can't, right? I mean, if a boulder's bouncing down a hill and it lands on your rock, on your car, you, you can't take the boulder to court, right? And if, if you're a determinist, a human being is no different from a boulder. So I think for Sam Harris, the challenge, of course, is how do you square moral condemnation, right? So he's, I think he said about me, like when I was talking about the average IQ in sub-Saharan Africa, Sam Harris said about me, I can see the gleam of racism in his eye. Or I can't remember something like that. It's been a long time. And it's like, okay, well, it's not an argument. Gleam is not an argument. Uh, it's not a, re- uh, a rejection or rebuttal of any particular facts. And also, if everything's predetermined and nobody has any free will, then how can I be blamed for the contents of my mind? So I think that Jordan Peterson's focus and emphasis on uh, moral responsibility, on free will, on standing up to collectivism, his uh, scientific background in terms of psychological studies, it's all very great. I, You know, I've almost never... I can't think of a time where I've watched a Jordan Peterson video and not got something pretty cool out of it. Uh, whereas with Sam Harris, uh, 
seems seems a little repetitive to me. And Jordan Peterson, it just seems new uh, a lot of times. A uh, super chat from Daniel. Any general advice on being a better speaker? Yes. Forget about yourself. This is the big trick. It's not really a trick. It's true. So you got to think of yourself as a triangle, right? So here's here's how it works. There's a triangle, right? There's you, there's the audience, and then there's the truth, right? Now, you're trying to get the audience and the truth to connect, right? So this is you, the truth, the audience. All you're trying to do is get the audience to connect with the truth. And if you're focused on that, then you, your ego's out of the equation, right? So if you have two friends, you think they're going to make a great couple, you introduce them to each other, you don't care about whether they like you so much, you care about whether they like each other. And so your focus is on the two people you're introducing to each other. That's what you want to focus on. It's the same thing. There's you, there's the truth, and then there's the audience. And you want the audience to connect with the truth. And if you are willing to focus on that, then you can forget about yourself. You're out of the equation and you become like a clear window pane through which people can see of you, right? You you don't want to look out a beautiful window and see the glass. You don't want to notice the glass. That means the glass is distorted or dirty or stained or warped or something like that. And so be the clear pain through which people can get to the truth, and that will take the ego out of it and the insecurity out of it. Super chat from Julian. I'm glad to have you live, Stefan Molyneux. I'm glad to be live. Thank you very much. Super chat. Bully K. Steph, will you ever consider coming back to visit us in New Zealand? So sorry for how you were treated. Majority here, no, it was a media game. Please come visit, even to walk about and see the great bits. I would love to come back to New Zealand. I am sure that I will come back to New Zealand, and I very much appreciate it. Because people said, oh, what did you think? It's like, well, the people I met in Australia and New Zealand were great. The people I met. Okay, so there's a small minority of people in the media and the noisemakers and the yellers and the screamers and the, you know, I mean, okay, but who cares about those? This is just nonsense, you know? I mean, it's like the greatest meal in the universe and a fly goes by and you just say, I'm throwing the whole thing out the window. No, forget it. All right, Super Chat Network 23 said, would you entertain the idea of a live stream call-in debate show where you take on some of these lowlifes? It would be like pro wrestling. Epic. I do believe that is... A cracking idea. A crackerjack idea. So, yeah, we'll make a note of that. Super chat. Rachel two, Rachel sent another $2 saying, too bad you can't get rid of people like me. <laughs> and this is so, it's always fascinating to me how people receive what it is that I'm saying. So now, the idea that I want to get rid of people like Rachel? No, I found it offensive what you said. I completely disagree with you. And I think you're completely wrong. But the idea that that I want to get rid of you, I want to get rid of you. I would love to instruct you. I'd love to have a debate with you if you want to call in. But the idea that I want to get rid of you. See, here's the thing. I can be offended by someone. I can really dislike someone. I'm not saying I dislike you. I'm just was offended and I thought it was inappropriate and wrong what you said about me. But the like, I can dislike someone and still have a conversation. I can find somebody offensive and and upsetting and still fully support their right to, to speak. I mean, this is, I don't know, maturity. Super chat, Paul, I really love reason and evidence. Thanks. So, you love reason and evidence. You're into threesomes. Duly noted. Super chat, being in the Navy, the women in the service don't tend towards feminists, even gays. What would be the reason for that? (laughs) Well, so yeah, one of my security guys in Australia was talking about how I think he had to do 40 push-ups to get into the military. The women had to do four, count them, four. I think Serena Williams only had to do two, but only if she'd punch you in the head afterwards. But um. 
just kidding. But um, I asked this question. I think it was when I was in St. Louis. Yeah, I was in St. Louis. I asked this question. And I've asked it before, but I assume that we just have new people. I've got thousands of people watching now. So let me ask you this. Those of you who are into sort of objective reason and evidence and Rachel, did you have a job dealing purely with material things? Like, I don't mean like waitering or or something like that. Just dealing with, like, did you have a job doing manual labor? Did you have a job tree planting? Did you have a job, you know, like everybody knows my history with manual labor and so on. Did you have a job where manipulation did squat for you? It did nothing for you. And you had to deal with base, bare, forked, naked reality on a regular basis. Or the old question, you know, did you ever have a job where a significant part of your body ached at the end of the day for at least six months? Uh, let me just have a look here. I don't want to just do the super chat stuff, but what are people saying here? <sighs> okay, so people are debating. <laughs> Listen up, people. Did you ever have a job that involved physical labor? Did you ever have a job that involved physical labor? There are no women in the military. Naked reality. All right, people are just enjoying my <laughs> phraseology. So people in the military, they usually have to deal with kind of bare naked reality. And uh, so my guess is that that makes them more keen to accept objective reality. You know, like if you live in a world where manipulation gets you your resources, then you're less likely to be objective in terms of philosophy. And if you live in a world where you have to deal with objective reality to get your resources, you're more likely to be objective. All right, now that song's in my head. Super Chat, Julian, with this political troubles, are we heading to another U.S. civil war? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Super Chat, Centurion 89, I know you agree with the neo with Darwin's theory, but it is in trouble. It is similar to climate science. Educated men such as Dr. John Lennox and Dr. Stephen C. Meyer offer a better alternative. Please look into intelligent design. I gotta tell you, that's a pretty big one for me to look into. I'm not saying it's the same as Flat Earth and... To be fair, Ann Coulter has got some pretty good arguments about uh, against evolution. But um, I would say that um, when I have time, it's not a hugely high priority for me, but uh, when I have time, assuming I do at some point in the future, I will look into that in more detail. All right, super chat from Samuel. Greetings and salutations from Michigan. I heard that there was a bomb threat to MythCon, I think it was called. Have you heard any more about it? It seemed to be one more threat pointed toward free dialogue to me. I did read about that. I didn't look into it in any detail, so I don't have anything smart to say about it. Super chat from Jax. Do you think a World War III starting in Europe is a significant possibility? I don't, because there can't be any world war. There can't be war between nuclear powers. And so what's more likely is just you know, whites are what, about 10% of the world population, and there's no homeland, there's no place. I guess you could talk Central Europe a little bit here and there. But um, no, it's not gonna it's not gonna be anything that dramatic. It's just gonna be a, a slow, a slow takeover. Super chat, what are your opinions on 5G networks and the potential implications of a sentient AI? Now, I've heard some of these rubblings, and you know, if anybody knows more, just just let me know. I'm sure you do about the dangers of 5G networks and so on. And uh, I got to tell you, I mean, you, you can see my data at the moment. It's like, okay, well, maybe it will hack my brain, but at least I'll get some good throughput on my <laughs> on these uh, streams and so on. So I don't know enough about the 5G networks and the dangers. I am not concerned about sentient AI. 
Now, here's the thing. So um, AI is a convenient thing for technologists to invent to pretend that they're not biased, right? So what they can say is they can say, well, we programmed the AI to deal with particular things. Oh, boy, what a shame. It turns out it accidentally targeted conservatives more than leftists. Well, you know, that's AI. What can you do? AI is like this big bucket that bias programming can be thrown into because nobody really understands it or anything like that. So uh, let's see here. Um, super chat from Nick. Do you think there is beginning to be a non-leftist entrepreneur revolution since non-leftists are being hammered over the head of leftists who dominate the business world? Oh, yeah, this is a natural dinosaur and mammal thing, right? So big companies attract parasites, particularly as I've talked about through regulations, through affirmative action, through HR. And then the parasites come in and they take over all of this kind of stuff. And then the new companies come along who don't have that kind of stuff and like you name it, right? I mean, and I'm sorry about the video quality on all of this, uh, but um, it's not that expensive to have a great and engaged conversation. Um, so, super chat from Flavio. Hi, I love your romance cover novels. Romance novel covers. If Brazilians elect Bolsonaro with a higher percentage than Americans did with Trump, can we conclude free speech, less political correctness, is more important than demographics and IQ? What an interesting question. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're all interesting, but this one, nothing is particularly popping into my head. Okay, when it comes to IQ, here's my big speech on IQ. It's going to be short, though, because I've pondered it for a long time. I think that a person who has average IQ in philosophy makes far better decisions than a person with high IQ and no philosophy. You know, why is it that I talk in the vernacular, right? Why don't I use a lot of complicated technical Latin uh, philosophical phrases? I could, but I don't. Because I feel, as somebody who's got a kind of weird babblefish ability to synthesize abstracts into conventional language, I owe it to the general population who are not as philosophically inclined as I am to give them facts that otherwise, and, and arguments and reasons that they might not otherwise get a hold of. I really, really dislike philosophers who don't give simple everyday answers to simple everyday problems. And so when it comes to IQ, I think philosophy equalizes things out a lot because the purpose of life is not intelligence. The purpose of life is happiness. And wisdom is what helps you gain happiness. And they can't actually find big differences in happiness across the IQ bell curve. It's not like the, the, the smart people are 10 times happier and the dumb people are not. I mean, the, the happiness is kind of equal. So my goal is to make IQ less important when it comes to happiness by promoting wisdom and virtue and the very simple things like respect persons and property. So let me, let me give you an example. I was chatting with a guy today. I just met him for the first time. We fell into a conversation and he was talking to me about how he'd had a big fight with his wife this morning in front of their six-year-old daughter. And I said, well, that's, that's not good, right? And he's like, well, you know, well, we were both passionate, we were both intense, and we don't want to be inauthentic to our own feelings, right? This is the stuff that people talk about with me. I just have this little, I guess, black hole of, of uh, conversational invitation. And I said, but it's not. It's not authentic. Like, if you're yelling at each other, calling each other names, that's not authentic. That's just bullying. Like, we wouldn't say to a kid who's a bully, well, you authentically did want to bully. You authentically did want that kid's lunch money, and you authentically did want to rip off his glasses and break them in the curb. That you're being authentic. We said, no, you're being a bully, right? So you have to have this commitment 
to not yell, to not raise your voice, not call each other names. And he said, well, what if she breaks that commitment? And I said, well, once you have a commitment, it's a commitment. The whole point of a commitment is you don't break it, right? And he said, but I think she would. And I said, okay, well, how about this? Do you have a commitment with your wife called monogamy, right? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, well, you're a red-blooded man. I'm sure at some point over the course of your relationship, you have, even if it's just been in transit or transitory, you've been attracted to another woman. Now, would you say to your wife, if you went and slept with that other woman, you say, oh, well, you know, here's the thing, you know, I really did feel a lot of sexual desire for that woman. And so I wanted to be authentic to my <laughs> gonad. So I wanted to be authentic to my emotions. So boy, I just went and, and had an affair. And then she would say, well, I don't care how much you wanted to have an affair. We have a deal called monogamy. You broke it and you're in trouble, right? And so if you make that analogy to her and say, well, we have a deal called to love, honor, respect, whatever it is, each other. So that means no yelling, no name calling, no bullying, no putting people down. And if she wants to break it, then it's say, well, that's the equivalent of me going to have an affair. Now, that hopefully would shock her into some kind of let's not do it. And, you know, so we talked, you know, the whole purpose of parenting is to prepare yourself for your, your kid's teenage life. And I said, if your six-year-old is watching you and your wife yell at people, then she's losing respect for you moment by moment because you're out of control. You're, you're not being wise. You're not being you know respectful of each other. So why should she listen to you when she becomes a teenager and you tell her how to live or what she should do or what she shouldn't do? You you have to re retain your credibility as a parent. Otherwise, your teenage years become horrible because your kids become independent. They latch onto their peers. So, you know, I mean, he was like, it was a great conversation. It was about half an hour and I was happy to have it. And he was just like, I got to make a phone call. I got to go to apologize to my daughter. I got to, and it's just like, okay, just 20 minutes, half an hour, just chatting with a guy. And that's practical. That's something that's going to make his life better, his wife's life better, his his daughter's life better. And his other kids life better too. So these are the things that I want to do. Now, there are lots of very, very smart people who have absolutely terrible relationships. Just awful. I mean, look at Einstein's relationship with his wife. He didn't like her to the point where she just had to slide food under his study door because he didn't want to talk to her. And that's miserable. Now, this guy, average intelligence, I calibrated the conversation accordingly. He's going to go home and hopefully find some way to improve things with his wife and probably going to end up with a way better relationship than Albert Einstein's. So that's just like a tiny little example of the snippet that I try and get done uh, during the day. So don't worry about the IQ stuff so much. Focus on the wisdom. I think that's where your most happiness is going to come from. All right. Uh, super chat from Tao. Thoughts on taxes which penalize production and the effects of this on the entrepreneurial spirit. Oh, yeah. Well, it peaks out. I mean, Queen left... England, the Beatles left England because they were just facing way too high taxes and we wouldn't have got great music otherwise. So whatever you tax, you diminish. Whatever you subsidize, you get more of. Super Chat, AI mass censorship. Are we going back to the iron grip of gatekeepers? Thoughts on media matters. Oh, yeah, media matters, one of these things I think I know them, but I don't really know them enough to have a good opinion. Uh, don't blame the computers, man. <laughs> don't, if you program a robot to go strangle a hobo, you don't blame the robot. You programmed it to. And so computers will only ever do what you tell them to. There is no such thing as artificial intelligence. You say, well, computers learn. No, they don't. They just replicate based upon the code that they've been given. They don't learn on their own. It's like, well, they develop new ways of doing things. It's like, yeah, they do. But it's not like a human being. They're not learning. They're simply piling on more algorithms based upon the prior algorithms. So, no. All right, Super Chat. Uh, sorry, Super Chat from Liam. Why 
Is the Australian government punishing dissent from high-ranking military officers toward female quotas in the infantry and officer cadetship? Female quotas seem insane. Well, the reason that Australian government is punishing dissent is because they're not fighting. <laughs> I mean, if you've got an army that doesn't have any fighting going on, what do you care whether, you know, a buck ten women can can faint in the heat and women who want to LARP as soldiers and who can't, like, they just can't do it. There's like one woman in a thousand who can match this kind of stuff. And any man who trains even a little bit is going to be vastly superior as a military soldier to, to any woman. So if there's ever a war, well, then these women won't be shipped to the front lines, of course, because it's all it's all nonsense. It's all it's peacetime, relatively, and so they can do whatever they want. They don't actually have a war to win, so they can ex- afford to have all of this um, it's this crap social engineering stuff and and all of this stuffing quota stuff. It doesn't make any sense. All right. Uh... Oh, sorry, I just missed here. So, super chat from Kenne Keen. You should make a video explicitly challenging those editors to write you an email to call into the show, calling everyone who finds it contentious. I think you mean the data and society report. They they won't. I mean, they won't. They're not interested in debate at all. Super chat, Seth, why is leftism intertwined with paganism? Is it just an F you to daddy? Well, they're both collectivist. They're both mystical. They're both irrational. You know, one worships the state. The other worships ghosts that live in trees. So um, they're both two sides of the same coin, as far as I am. They both result in violence when confronted. Super chat, William, on hyper-objectivity, which infects our society, do you agree that subjectivity takes primacy, i.e. your family is more important to you than everyone else's family? Your family is more important to you than everyone else's family. Well, that's not true for men. Men get drafted and go to war specifically to protect, in general, the families of the rulers rather than at the expense of their own family. So um, maybe that's more for women. But if if um, if for women, if family was so important, then... I mean, it's funny, you know, because I'm, you know, some people say, oh, Steph's anti-family and so on, although I have a family. But I want people to be pro-family. I just... Because, right, in history, men get drafted, they go get fight and blown up. For what? For nothing. For, for the rulers, for the enrichment of the military-industrial complex, for uh, nothing, for propaganda. And so I want people to care about their families more. If women cared more about their families, they wouldn't be initiating almost three-quarters of the divorces. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I want family to be more important to people. Uh, Super Chat. When will you do a video on the truth about HIV and AIDS? House of Numbers, Joan Shenton, Peter Duisberg. Um, I've heard some of these rumors about AIDS. If it's not a specifically philosophical topic, it's kind of tough to find the time to to focus and devote on it. It's uh, sort of like the vaccines thing. It's like, that is a very specific medical question. And I can't really bring, I don't have any medical expertise to speak of, and I can't really bring much philosophical um, principle or weight to bear in it. So it's kind of tough. Superjet, Matthew, is there a preferred mechanism for making non-monetary donations? TLDR, listeners who would like to donate expertise service, perhaps equipment, e.g. enhancements planned for transition to free domain. Yeah, you can find the um, uh, you can find the email on the website. Just don't dump us a resume and say, how can I help? That does not help. That just takes up time. So if you have something very specific, something very positive, some, and say, here's my skills, here's my resume, here's how I think I can help, time frame and all that, it's most most appreciated. But most people just dump us a resume and say, how can I help? And it's like, 
yeah, we can't, we can't do that. <laughs> That's no good. Super Chat, Daniel, when do you see a push towards outlawing manual driving? With the argument that self-driven cars will save lives, but only work if no human drivers are on the road to confuse the AI cards. The left love to control mobility. Well, sure, of course. I mean, they want to... Um, I mean, you can see this, like, so Alex Jones got banned from PayPal, right? I mean, so basically, if you disagree with the left, they want you to have no banking. They want you to have no economic participation. They want to ostracize you economically. Ironically enough, the left wants a big government, and I say that economic ostracism, and have said so for more than a decade, economic ostracism can very much deal with deviance uh, from social norms and deviance from legal norms. So, yeah, they are definitely looking to unplatform people from their capacity to function in society, and uh, that is uh, horrendous. And so outlawing manual driving, that's going to be pretty tough. That is going to be pretty tough to do so. I think that the way that it would work, um, certainly in a free society, would be if manual driving was more dangerous, you'd pay higher insurance, and there'd be a soft transition. Super chat. Bon, how do we convince Republicans to engage in the culture war? Well, it depends what you mean by Republicans. Do you mean the politicians? Well, they're not going to because they're politicians. Do you mean the Republicans as a whole? Here's the problem is that the left owns so much of the culture and has done so for half a century that trying to dislodge them is going to take at least another half a century. And we don't have half a century because whites are going to be minorities in their own countries long before then. So uh, I don't know the culture war. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that it's going to help. I think that we just need to get as many facts, reason, and evidence out there as possible. I could be wrong. But, you know, it takes... Oh, it takes so long, say, to make a movie. Making a movie can take like five to ten years to get to the screen. And in the meantime, you know, 500 other leftist movies have come out. So, I don't know. We'll see. Super Chat. Do you think the First Amendment will be enough to keep the U.S. from becoming like Europe currently? Well... I mean, the left view and have openly stated that, and, and George W. Bush uh, said this as well, that the Constitution is just a piece of paper. You know, the president, you see, is supposed to be able to appoint Supreme Court justices. And what are they doing? Well, they're coming up with outrageous accusations from decades ago in an attempt to thwart that process. So I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't rely on a piece of paper. It's going to need some backup. Super chat. Is it immoral to withhold info on the sexual market value lowering effects to a prospective short-term female partner. Are you asking me, should you lie to someone you're going to have sex with? No, you shouldn't lie to someone you're going to have sex with. <laughs> Good Lord, no. That's horrible. Super chat, Liam, how would you screen for a partner in today's culture? Hold up a picture of me. If they recognize it. If they kiss it. Put a ring on it. No, I look for reason and evidence and look for curiosity and look for people's capacity. You don't want people who just think what you think. You want people who have the capacity to think so that you can both grow together. Super chat. Please focus on family values and child psychology. And um, I I go back and forth. I'm, I'm torn about where to put my talents and abilities at the moment. It's tough. It's very tough because... Um, I, you know, I, I love the long-term solutions. You know, I did a show with Tom Woods. Uh, you can check it out on his channel, tomwoods.com. I love the local solutions. I love the more immediate solutions. But the problem is there are larger contexts of politics and encroaching leftism and dem demographics and, and so on that, uh, you know, I, 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 have to, I have to try and balance both of these. And that is a big, uh, a big challenge. So 
Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. Yeah, somebody, somebody, uh, Ryan has said, uh, I skipped a, a question. I did skip a question. I didn't mean to. I did see it, and then I completely forgot about it. Let me see here. Um, it was uh, something about Dave Rubin. I will find it. Just be patient. Thank you for reminding me. I certainly didn't mean to skip it. Do, do, do. Here we go. Oh, I think I'm up too far. Am I up too far? It was something about how, what is it, Dave Rubin says that he's watched, watched what, he watched less than a, an hour of my, uh, of my stuff. Let's see here. Oh, yeah. Why does the intellectual dark web frequently feign ignorance of you, thinking of Dave Rubin claiming to have watched less than an hour of your content and Eric Weinstein's recent tweets? Did you really need the answer to this? Come on. <laughs> of course they have to claim ignorance of me. <laughs> of course they do. You see, this is the way it works, right? So if they don't claim ignorance of me, if people say, oh, yes, no, I've watched a lot of Stefan Molyneux's material, what's the reporter going to say? Well, the reporter is going to say, oh, and what do you think of Stefan Molyneux's material? Well, it's tough then, right? What are they going to say? Are they going to say he's wrong? Okay, well, if you've watched a lot of my material and you say that I'm wrong, certainly could happen, then you need to explain why I'm wrong. If it's the race and IQ stuff, you need to explain not that I'm wrong, but why, like, dozens of subject matter experts, professors, and and scientists, and so on who've come on my show who've all said the same thing, why they're all wrong. So, of course, like, because they don't want to talk about this stuff, and and the reasons why they don't want to talk about this stuff is kind of obvious. They like being on TV. They like having, you know, this kind of comfortable relationship with some of the mainstream media. They like having the halls. They, I mean, they like this stuff. And I, I get it. It's nice. I understand why people like that stuff. They don't want to cross that Rubicon into talking about the most essential issue in the modern world. It is the most essential issue. I don't just talk about it because I've got some, he's strangely fixated on race and IQ. It's like, a guy trapped in a submarine is strangely fixated on opening the hatch. It's just weird. I don't know what's going on with the guy. It's like he can't think of anything else. Like, no. First of all, if other people took up the mantle and started talking about it, then I could talk about it less. But because everyone else is kind of chickening out, I got to keep doing it. But um, of course, of course they have to. <laughs> of course they have to disavow, soft to disavow, right? Because they won't talk about this essential issue. They'll let me talk about it. Which, you know, I, I'm happy that Dave Rubin had me on the show, even though he cut a pretty important part of the show. But they, of course they have to do that, because they don't want to talk about this issue. They'll have me on to sort of disavow or, or to step back or to say, you know, well, I disagreed or whatever. Which, you know, I guess that's as far as, as some people can go. But some people, some people are into truth like no matter what. No matter what. Everyone knows that the race and IQ stuff because of mass migration is absolutely essential. It is absolutely... If race and IQ is both valid and significantly genetic, there's going to be, well, rivers of blood in the West. There's no question of that. There's no... So this is the most important topic when it comes to the continuance of Western civilization for there not to be rivers of blood in the West. I mean, like, it just is. And I've gone the reasons over this before. Everyone can sort of figure this out, right? When the money runs out in particular, if people have come to the West for free stuff, when the free stuff runs out, what do they do? Well, they fight. Of course they do. I mean, what are they just going to, well, some will go home, but, you know, a lot of them will just fight. 
So particularly when they have a very expansionist ideology that believes that, you know, say non-Muslims owe them a tithe, so to speak, the jizya. So yeah, it's, it's a hugely important, anybody who's not talking about this on a regular basis is, I mean, they're just not, they're not very serious about talking about what actually matters. And it means that they want a certain amount of social comfort. They want a certain amount of acceptance. And I, again, I understand that need. I don't respect it, but I understand it. It's very tempting. It's very tempting. And you get a lot of social kibbles for not talking about these most essential topics and for virtue signaling about what a bad guy I am for talking about these topics. And and I mean, so some people are into truth, like no matter what, no matter where it takes me, what is most important, I will talk about and I don't care if people get mad at me because I have a responsibility to the truth, to the future, to philosophy, to my audience, to my culture, to my civilization, to my history, to everything. I have that responsibility and I will not shirk it. I will not abandon that responsibility. And other people are like, well, I'll get nicer write-ups and uh, I can get more diverse guests and, you know, all of this kind of stuff, right? So, there are some people to whom it's kind of like a gig, and there are some people to whom it is a genuine calling, and I think you can see uh, the differences uh, between them. And again, these are, you know, some some of them are fellow travelers, and some of them I like as people, but I get the limitation. I really, really do. And I think it's a shame, because I think if we all talk about what's important, it's going to be a whole lot easier. All right. Super Chat, Mark, why are we fighting in Afghanistan? Well, this is a brutal example of an economic fallacy called the fallacy of sunk costs. So if you want to take a bus somewhere, this is back before Uber, I lived my, I didn't get a car till I was in my 30s. If you want to take a bus somewhere, if you just spend five minutes waiting for the bus and then you decide to walk, eh, it's not too bad, right? But if you spend an hour waiting for the bus, it's really tough to get up and start walking. So the fallacy of sunk costs, also known as throwing good money after bad, is horrifyingly enacted in Afghanistan. America hasn't won. If America pulls out of Afghanistan now, after thousands dead, after trillions of dollars spent, after I don't even know how many Afghanis who've been killed, frankly, murdered in in a, a war crime, because the Afghani government offered to turn over bin Laden. Well, we all know the history, but anyway. If America leaves Afghanistan now, what happens? They've lost. This military machine that costs more than the next, I don't know, dozen or two dozen countries' defense budgets combined, this massive multi-trillion dollar machine of death can't win in Afghanistan. So then some people are going to say, well, if you can't even win in Afghanistan... What the hell are we paying this for? What the hell are we paying all this for if we can't even win? Well, the country's been called the graveyard of empires for the British, for the Russians, now for the Americans. If we can't even win in Afghanistan, what's the point? And it's the same thing that happened in Vietnam, which is when you go to war, you need to really go to war if you're going to go to war. Like how the, the British went to war against the Germans. The Americans went to war against the Japanese. It's like, you, you just go full tilt boogie, like no holds back. You just go to war. But in places like, well, in, in, in uh, North Korea, 
or in Korea, in, in, in Vietnam and so on, they kind of half went to war. And in Afghanistan, they kind of half went to war, right? We're going to blow stuff up. We're going to rebuild it. We're going to blow stuff up. We're going to rebuild it. It's like, eh. and And this is a good thing. It's like, oh, but it's cruel. You go to war, go all the way. No, it means that you don't go to war frivolously. It means you don't go to war halfway. You don't go to war as a way of making money. You don't go uh, to war as a way of imagining that you're avenging 9-11. You don't go to war for stupid, dumb, political, economically predatory reasons. You go to war because it's survival, right? You go to war because it's survival. You know, it's like if somebody invades your home and you have a gun, then you shoot them, right? I mean, self-defense, right? But I don't know that you should roam around town Batman style, you know, just shooting people you think are criminals. That's horrible and that's abusive. And even if you're right, it's still kind of wrong, right? So, and you don't know you're right because there's no trial, right? So I would say that the reason America is still in Afghanistan is that the entire military industrial complex, first of all, they're still profiting from it. And secondly, there's going to be some significant questions and any politician worth half a damn. And and Trump has said this uh, kind of stuff, like, why are we there? And it's kind of a waste and all that. But any politician who really wanted to get the attention of the American people would just say something like the following, would say, the war in Afghanistan, which is the longest war America's ever fought now, it's gone on for 17 years, is a prime example of how we are not getting any value out of our military spending. Because we spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars a year on the military. They lose untold amounts of money. Like, they've got the biggest couches on the known planet, and they basically lose half of the Bitcoin holdings in the back of their couch every week, it seems. And so we have been spending trillions of dollars over the years on our military, and Iraq is not stabilized. Syria is not stabilized. Libya is destroyed and we can't win in Afghanistan. So what the hell are we paying all this money for when it can't achieve the objectives we set it out to achieve? Either A, those objectives are terrible, or B, the objectives are good, but the military is terrible. Now, if the objectives are terrible, then we need to stop having those objectives, all these useless sand wars in the Middle East. And Afghanistan, it's not quite in the Middle East. But And, and if the objectives are good, but the military is bad, then we need to completely retool our spending. And I'm going to stop it all and start it all over again. And then, of course, oh, you don't care about defense. It's like, but it's not It's not the Department of Defense. Calling the American military the Department of Defense is like calling the American educational system the Department of Education. It's the Department of Indoctrination. And it's the Department of Offense. It's the Department of Invasion. It's the Department of War Crimes in many ways. I don't blame the soldiers or even the generals. They're taking orders. But that is the reality of how it has played out in the world. So people have... You, you pull out now and people say, well, what were all those bodies for? You pull out now and people say, what has the record of success been for the American military over the past 50 years? What have they won? Okay, first Gulf War, you could say, but Gulf War sickness and huge mess and first Gulf War arguably led to the second Gulf War and all that. So what have they succeeded in? What if they liberated this, become truly free? People might start asking those questions now. When people start asking those questions, a lot of money starts to be uh, called into question. A whole military-style approach. So, all right. Uh, let's see here. How would you explain the reality split on the economy? Scott Adams and Alex Jones say it's great, but you and Peter Schiff say otherwise. Well, because there's 
current statistics, which have certainly improved, but there are long-term realities, such as the $180 trillion worth of unfunded liabilities that nobody's talking about. So if you look at the moment, things are better. If you look down the road, the problems are still a challenge. And the other thing, too, is that if you improve your economy without closing your borders or having any kind of border controls, you just invite more and more and more people into your country. Well, you don't invite them, but they'll be drawn in there by everything you have uh, you have to offer. Yeah, sorry again about the video quality. It's not uh, <laughs> it's not ideal, but uh, sometimes we make do with what we have. All right. Well, I think uh, I don't see anyone else. Uh, what do you think would happen if the Middle East had peace and unity from a natural resource perspective? Welcome to the real world. <laughs> well, I mean, the Middle East is only rich because uh, they stole all of the uh, oil uh, companies from from the West. So. When did you lose your hair, Steph? Um, I don't know, it started in my 20s, I guess. Did Stefan really work in programming? Yeah, you know, it's a great training in logic as well. All right. Thank you, everybody, for a wonderful evening. It's a great and enjoyable way to spend, uh, I guess, an hour and three quarters uh, 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 on a uh, Saturday night. So I hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful weekend and uh, surround yourself with love and positivity and happiness and uh, we can enjoy whatever is coming because... With all the facts that we have, we can either save the world or we cannot regret its passing. And those are two of the best options we may have at the moment. So have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful evening. Please don't forget to pick up The Art of the Argument at theartoftheargument.com. You can donate. If you didn't quite get round to the super chatty thing here, you can donate at freedomainradio.com slash donate, freedomainradio.com slash donate, or just go to freedomainradio.com and there's a donate thing right there. Hugely helpful. If you could throw the Steph bot a monthly donation, you know, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever, less than a cup of coffee a day, that's hugely helpful because it really helps me plan future projects and all of that. And as you can see, I need some new curtains. So freedomainradio.com slash donate. If you've got some shopping to do, fdrurl.com forward slash Amazon. Thank you, my lovelies. Great set of questions tonight. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. As I said, I would talk to you soon. Oh, oh, coming up. Oh, man, you got to <laughs> watch this. We're putting out a show. I don't even know what I'm going to call it yet. It's about two and a half hours, I think. And it has the most unbelievably unexpected, crazy twist in the middle of the call-in show. It's beyond the water buffalo. It's beyond the flat earth. It's beyond uh, the uber cucks that we've had floating around a little bit lately. It will blow your mind. So keep your eyes peeled for that. It's going to come out in a day or two. So thanks, everyone, again. Have a great night. We'll talk to you soon. Love you.